welcome to ACE Audio, the podcast that supports, educates, informs, and motivates manual therapists around the world. Welcome back, everyone. Sean Brewster and Boating Lennon here today. Well, today we're going to talk about uh, a topic that we are always harping on about in our courses, and it's the danger of being purely passive in our treatments. Yeah. This is a this is an important topic, I think, for everyone. Yeah, hundred percent. You know, when we think about patient coming in with a with a problem. Um, they can't reach, they can't bend, they can't play sport, whatever it may be. Um, we've got to integrate passive treatment through to active so that they can return to what they enjoy doing or, or what their their goals are. Perfectly stated. Yeah, I think there's we we tend to have a tendency, and I say we, I'm going to say the group of therapists out there that are, that are working primarily in soft tissue type treatment work um, in the manual therapy space. A lot of massage therapists, remedial therapists, myotherapists, some physiotherapists, even some osteopaths. Um, where And chiropractors, I guess we all can fall into this category where the patient will come into the consultation room with a problem and say, like you said, I have difficulty bending forward, I have difficulty resting a weight overhead, or I have pain when I'm doing something. We go, fantastic, let's do some assessment, put you on the table. And then we can kind of do things to the patient. We treat them, do things to them, and then we expect them to move from this dysfunctional state to a functional state purely through these, this passive exchange, this one-way exchange of us providing treatment. And that's a very two-dimensional approach to treatment, isn't it? Yeah, for sure. And I know when I first started out, some would come in with those problems and you're sort of like, all right, well, don't do don't bend forward or don't reach overhead or, you know, avoid avoidance. And it's so, um, so incorrect. You know, we really want to encourage them to move towards those uh, painful movements or towards those limitations so we can desensitize them, decrease their fear of movement and promote their recovery. Um, so I think that that's fundamental. You know, we can use manual therapy really effectively to, to decrease inhibitions to movement and exercise, decrease their pain, but we've got to get that progression to, to active treatment um, in that session and, and, you know, start to progress that over a period of time that um, we are challenging their movement where we're progressing a little bit further with an active intervention and not just keeping the treatment purely passive. Yeah, definitely. And I think most people who know us well would know that we are probably the biggest advocates of manual therapy that they'll ever meet. And so I wouldn't want anyone listening or watching this to think that we're saying passive therapy, manual therapy um, is, is, is not useful. It's not valuable. It absolutely is. But it's got its limitations, just like everything. In the same way that exercise has its limitations. You know, somebody come in and they've got some kind of chronic pain presentation and you say, here, I need you to do these movements, these exercises to solve your problem. It possibly could. But the person's going to have so much fear avoidance initially since they've been carrying this pain around for years that the idea of going from I can barely move to doing those exercises you just gave me is incomprehensible for some of these patients. So this is where our manual therapy comes into its own. So we can come in and go, let's try some dry needling. Let's try some joint mobilization, some massage, some tens, some whatever it is to reduce, like you said, your sensitivity to movement and to pressure and to whatever it might be to get you to the point where you feel comfortable in your own body and maybe confident enough to try some movement. And so it's kind of like the first aid kit. So I like to think of it as a first aid kit. It helps you manage, stop the bleeding. In other words, stop the pain, stop that fear, the apprehension, those kind of immediate uh, danger impulses that our body's giving us when we have pain. So we can pass that into the healing 
and you can't massage, mobilize, needle, tape, electro, uh, electrotherapy uh, applications to the point where you can heal. You can't heal tissue with these techniques. All you can do is improve the manage, improve the ability of that person to move more, to have less pain, to, to have a better experience in their body, and then the healing has to happen naturally. And exercise and movement is one of the best ways to support that. For sure. And not only thinking it from a structural point of view, we think about the neurophysiological mechanisms associated, the neuroplastic changes that can occur. So when we look at a manual therapy approach, for example, joint mobilization, where we can we can have these neurophysiological changes that occur at at the location, also at the at the spinal cord segment. So we can have segmental inhibition, we can have descending inhibitory control. Right, we have changes in sensory um, motor input and output. So we have various mechanisms at play there that, that can decrease someone's pain. All right. Then we've got to get them doing the movement that they came in with a problem doing. So if we can get them to do that in a, in a, a pain-free environment or a reduced pain environment, that can improve their confidence with movement, movement. But the more that we repeat that, that can create these neuroplastic changes. Now, remember when someone has pain, right? They'll have a learned non-use. So they learn not to use it because the, the brain is essentially, it's working as a protective mechanism to prevent further damage or injury. So when someone expects to have pain reaching up overhead or, or bending forward, they have this uh, this um, pre-programmed um, perception that that movement is going to be painful. So they'll come up with either an avoidance pattern or behavior or a different way of moving. So they learn that. And the more that they learn that, that can lead to deconditioning. Um, it can lead to, again, more fear. So if we can use manual therapy to, to modulate their pain, then take them through the movement that they had the problem with, and repeat that, that can create these positive neuroplastic changes, right? And, and giving them confidence and reassurance in the way that they move. Again, the more that they do this, they, those neural pathways and synapses start to become stronger and more efficient. And that's how we can sort of break those bad habits, those old pre-programmed um, ways of, of moving in pain and create these positive neuroplastic changes. For sure. And I think another way to describe what you're sort of saying there is like success breeds success, which we often say um, when we're talking about, you know, how to take somebody through or progress them through exercise or through their pain. And so if you can find someone who has difficulty reaching overhead, like you said, it hurts their shoulder when they do it, but you can find a way for them to do that. If you can say, okay, lifting her up to the side hurts. What if you lift it forward and up? And they go, well, yeah, that's less painful or it's, it's, it's fine. Okay, well, let's do that a bunch of times. And then just bit by bit, let's see if we can move that arm slightly further and further out. So they're not jumping straight into the thing they have tr trouble with. They're starting with a successful movement. It's successful in that they can achieve it. It's not painful. And they feel confident with it and comfortable with it. And then bit by bit, you nudge that barrier, physical barrier that they have created for themselves or the injury has created for them. More importantly, the mental barrier that they've subconsciously created. And it's not there. We have to emphasize this to our patients too. They haven't made up their pain haven't imagined it their brain has putting these protective mechanisms in place so that they don't damage something that they think is already you know damaged or further damage something that's already damaged and so if you just nudge that barrier out bit by bit by bit we see people achieve things that they couldn't possibly imagine and you'll 
I'm sure everyone here has seen examples of this clinically where you'll have a patient says, I can't lift my arm up above my head. And then as they take their jacket off in the in the change room and then they in in the consultation room and then they hang it up on the wall. And what did they do when they hang it up? They they lifted their arm above their head. They're not thinking about their pain. And so getting them to do things in a different context, in a different way, in a successful way, not focusing on their shoulder, but focusing on a task, um, is a surefire way to help nudge those pain barriers out, perceived barriers out. Yeah, changing that input. I had a fantastic case the other day. Um, patient was describing gets this spasm and a lot of pain when getting out of bed on the on the on the right side of the bed. So I got him to lay on the table and get off the table to to show me um, uh, show me the the pain that he experienced and had this spasm come on. So we went through some basic sit to stand MWMs. So applying that mobilization in a, in a sit to stand. Well, before that, I got him to sit to stand and show me how he would do it. And there was a lot of apprehension and, and this sort of expectation of pain. Just by changing that input, um, supporting him through that, that movement, six reps, and he was completely blown away about the, the changes. And, and I got him to then just repeat that on his own quite a few times, showed him how to, to, to do it himself. Um, completely blown away that the changes that that occurred and it's not that I pushed anything back into place or anything like that but we we changed the input we changed the beliefs we reduced the fear and improved the confidence with movement um and that reassurance that you know this is how we can move in in, in a safe comfortable way and movement's actually good for you but he was so braced and guarded beforehand because he was expecting and anticipating this movement now that's a great example of moving from sort of a, a passive through active. Um, but, you know, if you just did a, a passive intervention, lay down on the table, press and poke, and, you know, you might get a, a decrease in, in some symptoms, but the issue is is actually getting out of bed. Yeah. All right. So going from that to laying down to, to actually sitting and standing up. So we've got to sort of be a bit more targeted and specific with that, that approach. Like, yeah, we'll have some some effects as as i mentioned with those mechanisms before with with a, with a manual therapy but we could be a little bit more focused and specific with with that approach yeah 100 and you like you've got that patient that's a really good example where you know they they have pain getting out of bed in that in that way and for someone who doesn't understand their body really really well they'll think okay something some tissue, some part of my body that I'm using when I do that is is broken, it's damaged, it's torn, it's inflamed, it's something, right? And then simply by demonstrating to them that they can do it without pain by applying some pressure, so some manual therapy to desensitize tissues, to change load on tissues in a way that they can do it and realize that actually nothing's nothing's torn, nothing's broken, nothing's probably even inflamed. And maybe the tissue is just a little bit sensitive. And so you reduce that sensitivity, show them what's possible. And it's a, I see this time and time again um, in some of the courses we teach and with patients, you, you'll do something, someone has a painful movement, you, re, you change the load on the tissue slightly, you haven't fixed anything, you haven't popped a joint in or out, nothing, you know, nothing's different, you just change the load on the tissue, and immediately the pain's gone and the movement's better and they think it's magic trick. No, it's, it's just we remove the thing that was holding you back for a moment in time. And now how do, we, how do we replicate that? How do we make that play out over time? so that the patient can have longer lasting effects. That's the goal. That's the hard thing to do, um, but it is absolutely possible 
if we move away from just this passive interaction. Yeah. And then, you know, we think about that as that, that transition of passive through active, but then, you know, then where do we go from there? Well, yeah, we show them how to recreate that at home, but then going forward in long-term management, there needs to be this, this progressive approach. It's just like going to the gym, the basic S&C principles of progressive overload, allow time for adaptation um, and continually overload so that their tissue adapts and responds to the applied stimulus. And that's classic, you know, if someone is moving from sit to stand and that's where they're getting their symptoms, well, let's start to increase the the uh, the volume of how, how often they, how many repetitions they do, the frequency, how often per, per week or per day that they're doing that, and then the intensity of, of how much load or, or weight is being moved. So you can start to use that in, in an exercise. So you don't need to be, um, you know, you know the, the, the best strength and conditioning coach in the world. You just think about, well, what movement do they need to do and how do I apply basic principles to increase the capacity of their tissue so that they can withstand these, these basic movements? Yeah, definitely. And I think there's, there's a big, even a bigger um, problem with the purely passive treatment is that the whole therapist reliance issue. Uh, and we did a podcast way back a while ago on over-treating patients. And this is where you fall, I think, falling into the trap of over-treating is when the patient comes in and you give them a passive type treatment and they feel great. And, you know, we can't, we can't take away from the value in passive therapy. It definitely has a valuable um, place in society and there's a need for it. But if, if that's all we do, someone comes in with a especially a chronic pain presentation or a movement limitation or movement deficit, and we provide a passive input to a functional problem. So there's two opposite things there, passive and, and functional two opposite things then they'll have a reduction in symptoms for three or four days, whatever it might be. And then the inputs that created the problem in their life are still there because it's at work and home and stress and whatever else. And so three or four days later, they phone us up and go, yeah, it's starting to come back again. When, I can't, when can I come and see you again? And you go, brilliant. Here's my business model. Come back in next week, please. And then they just, it turns into a revolving door. You know, the same bunch of clients coming back week after week because they're relying on that, on that magic pill that you're giving them with the passive treatment. And it is a mass, it is a, a, a magic pill in three or four days, but that's not a solution. Right? I just want to go say one more thing on this passive treatment, which is if you're a therapist who provides that type of treatment, as in patient lays on the table, you do things to them, they pay the money, they go home, they feel good. That's still a really useful thing. We can't take away from the value of the patient who is their body's in a sensitized state. They've got high levels of stress in their life. They're anxious about something. They need. They crave physical touch. So much of so much of us in society don't have that physical connection with another human being. They like the interaction with you, the talking, the banter, the conversation, the trust, the rapport. That's hugely valuable. You know, yeah. for generations before us, that was the confessional booth at the church. We don't have that. You know, so much in our society anymore. It was the uncle or auntie that you go and spend time with on the weekend and have that interaction, building that confidence, that feeling of safety. It's still massively important. So we're not saying that that's not useful. If that's your model of treatment and your model of clinical practice, more power to you. If you've got a patient who's got a functional deficit, passive input is not is not going to be a solution for it. It'll be a band-aid. That's yeah, for sure. It's like those those classic widespread. Uh, 
chronic pain that's it's not really a pathology as such it's it's widespread spread hypersensitivity their nervous system just needs to be calmed down and and sometimes the, the best case you know if someone comes to me like that i'll often refer on i'm not the best at giving a relaxation massage other people are better than better at that than me so um there, yeah there's certainly a place for it but like you said there's there's functional problems where um you know, we want to start to integrate them as fast as possible into an active pro uh, program that they can do themselves. And there, you know, numerous techniques that you can do. It could be joint mobilization, neural mobilization is a fantastic one early on, and someone's presenting with um, uh, radicular pain. You know, starting to get their their nervous system moving and and desensitized to promote them to actually move more and and not move less. Um, yep. because we know the evidence surrounding movement is is fantastic um but that is a, a manual therapy approach that integrates exercise which is great you see the same with the the functional release cupping you know that integrating movement uh shifting that attentional focus away from their pain or their 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 limitation um, and getting them to repeat these movements multiple times they get more comfortable more confident in that movement with with less pain yeah definitely and we you know we often talk about the um the pain modulation mechanisms that are built into our body our gait control and our descending pain modulatory pathway pathways and exercise as you mentioned before has been absolutely demonstrated to to uh to initiate this descending pain modulation and so yes we can reduce somebody's pain with passive treatments but if they can reduce their own pain with movement and it's through repetitive motions, through doing things successfully and comfortably, but it's also just through contracting muscles, moving body, and releasing those endogenous opioids to make you feel good. And it's really difficult to have pain when you feel good, you know, when you're happy, when you're feeling, you know, inspired and, and good in your own body. It's difficult to have high levels of pain, and so one dampens the other. And why, when you know people go to the gym, they come out, and they go, oh, you know, I feel so much better after that, or I wake up in the morning, I'm stiff and sore, and I go for a run, and it's it sucks for the first 15 minutes, but by the time I come home, I've never regretted it. You know, it's always a great thing. One, because your body physically warms up, right? The tissues soften, they become more pliable, and that's good. But two, because we get these endogenous opioid releases, it's a chemical change in our body that actually stops us experiencing the pain. And so someone who's got chronic pain, that that is a strategy. Movement is the strategy to manage that pain. Yeah, not to mention the, the other effects that go along with that, you know, and I think, like, when we look at manual therapy versus exercise versus pain neuroscience education, well, none's really better than the other there, you know, um, but that integrated approach can be really effective. And we think about why we would use one over the other or why we would combine them. You know, when we start to use the uh, manual therapy as a great way to modulate someone's pain and then integrate them into an active approach, Exercise can be fantastic for improving capacity of their tissues, but also the the behavioral changes that go along with that. You know, people that exercise often, um, you know, can have uh, changes to their eating uh, habits, their their sleeping patterns, their levels of stress decrease. There's been numerous studies in the brain of upregulation of um, brain derived neurotrophic factor. So it's important for learning and, and memory and, and decreasing um, uh, neurodegenerative disorders such as uh, Alzheimer's and um, the other one, Parkinson's. <laughs> uh, not Parkinson's, uh, Alzheimer's and um, anyway, dementia. 
dementia, that's the one. Uh, maybe I've got a little bit of it myself. <laughs> um, but, you know, fantastic uh, evidence for that. And, you know, when someone, you think about someone who's in chronic pain, they often have signs of mood-related disorders, um, stress, depression, anxiety. One of the best things for that is actually exercise. So um, so is, is manual therapy. Manual therapy can be fantastic for decreasing stress. Um, and, you know, when we, again, look at that in the whole uh, sort of approach of, of care for a patient, you know, decreasing their stress can be that that gateway to opening the doors to getting them to moving, to, to moving more. So, um, yeah, I mean, I don't think one's better than the other. I think our in integrated approach is, is, is great. Yeah, that's right. And some people might listen to this and think, well, if exercise and movement can reduce stress and, and pain and manual therapy can reduce stress and pain, well, then what's wrong with just doing manual therapy or just doing exercise? Well, I'd say, you know, exercise is limited in that it's not great at desensitizing tissue quickly um, and in a, and in a way that is not threatening to the patient if they're already in a, in a fear avoidance. Manual therapy is not great at long-term tissue capacity development actually bomb proofing your body manual therapy won't do that it reduces your pain experience in the in the short term and that's really useful so that you can get into that long-term bomb proofing but the the problem with not doing both things is or at least staying just in one camp is that um if the patient comes to see you and goes well close the guy that reduces my pain he's my therapist you know without him I'd, I'd be really i'd be really stuck you know i wouldn't know what to do and we hear this so often you know from, from patients and even therapists saying oh my, my patients rely on me so much and it's nice but think about what that does to the patient's um, self-efficacy you know their ability to be able to go you know yeah i go and see bar i go and see sean i go and see whoever to have my pain like they settle the pain now when i get really bad well i know that there's things that i can do that will help manage that as well so empowering our patients through movement through exercise through um education and other strategies that to help them know that when their body gets like this there are some things they can do as well and we're not always going to be available for them nor should we you know if they, if we, don't, we don't want to be a crunch for them we don't want to be the you know most that props them up when they have when they when they really need us we, we can help them when they need us but beyond that they need to have that self-efficacy their own strategies to manage pain and getting them involved in their passive treatments early, showing them that they can be a part of that, it's so empowering for them long-term because they know it's not just us that has the answer then. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Like, that's one of the best things in a treatment. If you get a, a good change, let me show you how to do that at home. Do it yourself, uh, yeah. Yeah, so you can do this yourself. This is how you do it. Um, you can record a video of me doing it, whatever it may be, but... Um, you know, giving them them to the, those tools to be able to treat themselves and and be able to take control of the situation, particularly if they're if they do have a bit of a flare up or their symptoms get worse at some point. Um, yeah, showing them those active approaches is is really important. Yeah, definitely. All right. Well, hopefully everyone listening has sort of taken away the the, the crux of this, which is you know we we are absolutely manual therapy advocates. We even more than that, we are advocates for uh, an integrated approach that has a long-term view. And the long-term view should be that you, the patients come to see us at the start, we point them in the right direction, we give them the tools, we give them a map and a strategy, and we say, right, that's where you've got to go. We'll be here to support you. But ultimately, you'll get a certain point down the road, we're not with you anymore. You're driving this by yourself. And you should be able to find your way there. And occasionally, 
something will happen. You'll have a flat tire, something will go wrong, you'll get some pain, right? Something will go a bit backwards. And then you can come back to us and we'll help you get going again. But it's you that gets you there. We can't be, uh, we can't go pilot that patient all the way through to their, their solution. They have to be the driver. Yeah. And so this idea of SIP therapy being a danger, it's only a danger if that's all you do. If your goal to provide a solution, if your goal is to make a person feel good, then it's okay. Right. There's, there's a there's a, that there's absolutely a role for that. Um, if you're looking for a solution, it needs to be patient driving that process with our guidance. Yeah, I agree. That's it. All right, bye. I think that'll do us today. Thanks for that, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. Catch you on the next episode. Cheers.